All right, welcome back to There Will Be Bourbon. Doing a little morning edition for me, not for the good sir here. I'm joined today by retired Army Colonel Chris Bagley. Uh, kind of gave you a little bit of his background. Uh, commissioned in 1985 into the Transportation Corps. Uh, did go to the Army War College. Um, where him and I came to meet was when he was the deputy commander of the, the 143rd ESC out of uh, Orlando, Florida. During his 30 years of service, a variety of command and staff positions, uh, prior to coming to the 143rd ESC, he commanded the 207th Regional Support Group out of Fort Jackson, South Carolina. Uh, other assignments include the commander of the 3rd Battalion, 347th Regiment in Orlando, and uh, commander of HHC Headquarters and Headquarters Company of the 449th Area Support Group out of Fort Gillum, Georgia. Uh, 30 years of service, right, sir? Cool. Impressive. Uh, the reason I, I, I reached out to you, uh, obviously, uh, just to kind of establish some backstory for why you're, you're here, obviously, is because, I, I, like I said, we did come in contact at a, at a prior stop along the way in the career, and I always had a, a tremendous amount of respect for you because I, as I was telling my girl the other day, um, in my opinion, you were always, I felt like what an officer should be like you were approachable you were compassionate you were you were in tune and in touch with your soldiers but at the same time there was a very definitive line of like this is what we're going to do and here's why and that was kind of i felt understood without you ever having to say it um well, I appreciate that is that yeah absolutely but is there before we get into the 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 main thing i wanted to talk to you about in terms of that style is there a place where you you learn that or is that just something you just a skill you just were naturally able to kind of demonstrate throughout your time as commander so um i had the privilege and opportunity of going to one of the nation's six senior military colleges and uh georgia is my home so it was it just made sense that i'd go to north georgia college now known as the university of north georgia and so uh, that school has uh, Army ROTC, and, un and, un and unlike Norwich, VMI, Citadel, Texas A&M, who offer the other programs, all the other ROTCs, North Georgia is an Army school. Okay. So we commission about 100 lieutenants each year. I think the year I graduated, we had maybe 40 or 50 or something like that. But So I was engrossed in the Cadet Corps on a daily basis. Um, it was very much army centric, but we also had the ability to enjoy college life. And yeah. so, um, um, but you know, if you got trolled, you got demerits, you had to walk tours and you did those things. And you quickly learn that the Corps cadets became a four year leadership laboratory. So you got to learn how to be a leader prior to pinning on that gold bar. And so for me, um, that's where I learned how to lead. Um, and then I had, when I came on active duty up at Fort Eustis in the seventh trans group, I was blessed to work for some great leaders who showed me what right looks like. And then you learn from them along, you know, 30 years of service yeah. allows you to see lots of good leadership. And as you and I know, we saw some bad leadership and uh, we'll get into that, but right. you can learn from bad leaders as well. I think, yeah. And uh, again, I thought, especially leaving that and then coming out to 
a, a later assignment, I guess. Yeah, it's you definitely can learn. I think sometimes more from the the, the wrong example. Sure. Because sometimes you just assume, hey, this is how everything's always been, and it's it's you know you don't know it until you see it, and then it's pretty it's pretty glaring when you finally do. Well, the Army produces officers either from West Point, ROTC, or OCS, and they all, you know, West Point's one way, OCS is one way, and then you have ROTC through hundreds of colleges. Right. You've got leaders that come out who are, you know, I'm engrossed in it 24-7 for, for four years, whether it's somebody who's going to Georgia Tech or the University of Georgia who puts the uniform on maybe a few hours in the week, but they produce some great leaders as well. So it's just, you know, what you do with what you've learned, how you apply it. And I think too, for me, a lot of my um, upbringing, excuse me, came from the house, from my parents. So yeah. how to treat people. In terms of, uh, so 30 years, that's obviously a, a long career and you did do multiple deployments overseas. And I think that's kind of something where we're going to start. Um, you wrote something that I think really stuck out with me or stuck with me yesterday. And that's why I kind of reached out on you. And uh, I just kind of wanted to take in your, your post kind of in order and let you kind of expound on some of the things that I read out. So the first thing that you said was, quote, we live in the greatest nation on face of this earth. How do I know it's the greatest nation on earth? Because after 30 years in our nation's army, two combat tours and traveling to 17 other nations through my life, I've seen the best and the worst of our globe. What made you write that? So that post that you're reading from, I've been writing that for about the last two months. And I would add things along the way, uh, seeing stuff on TV or what's going out, you know, on your side of the world where you live on the left coast, uh, all that madness and, the craziness that we have going on in, in Washington. And by the way, so I'm a, a government employee. Nothing I say is reflective of my employment. Right. This is Chris Bagley. So, uh, so having seen all the craziness that going that's going on in our country and um, the conspiracy theories about coronavirus and all the other stuff happening, um, I just felt like, there were so many people that were saying our country's broke, that we're messed up. Um, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. I'm like, I'm not seeing it. I agree. Uh, yeah. Maybe I'm blind, but, or I choose not to see it, but I live here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And yeah, they, they made a hat they may have had a um, protest or two down at the Capitol here in Raleigh, but you know, I'm just not seeing what, folks are portraying on TV that we're, we're, we're going to hell. So. No, I agree. And I've even, I, I even said this with, with uh, uh, Colonel Sellers, um, even where I live. And as you described, there's, there's some, uh, some incidents or areas that get more attention than others, but every day I'm out with my neighbors or people I work with or work around and we're just as cordial and friendly as ever. You know, it's, yeah. I, I don't see that either. I think you can always take, what's going on and amplify it to make it much worse or better than it actually is. And I think a lot of that is our issue with, I just think the media in general in this country at this point, like it, it's, it's no longer really designed to inform. It's more to inflame, I think. 
and uh, it's more entertainment. It's good if you if you if you tune into one channel, you're going to get exactly what you're looking for. Sure. Well, I, I took a uh, media course from the Department of Defense back when I was, I think, a captain. So um, they had said at that time, you can only really believe about 40% of what the news media is portraying to you on a daily basis. Now that was back in the late nineties. So I, I really think it's probably mm. 15 to 20% today what you really can believe. So, yeah. Um, and then just to go back to your post. So you, out, of, out of the, the 17 countries you've been to, well, let's exclude Afghanistan and, and Kuwait. I think that's more known, but, which country do you remember going to and for the first time being like truly either having like an eye open experience or maybe it kind of made you a little more thankful to be where, you know, to be an American or be from there? Because I think you kind of touch on that as well as a privilege. So I, I did a lot of uh, temporary duty TDY down to Central America when I was a okay. country officer. And so places like Honduras, where, um, you know, we would, we were operating in the port kind of down Pacific side, San Lorenzo. Mm -hmm. And every day we'd go to dump our trash and there would be people behind the deuce and a half waiting to pull our trash bags off the back of the truck to go through that garbage to see what they could eat. Crazy. Or they would take our MRE boxes and unfold them and then put them through a pallet that they had found. And that would be, you know, two or three pallets on the side, top, this way, and that would be their shelter. So they use the MRE boxes to weave through the pallet. And um, so that was, you know, yeah. So that was 88. And, um, and then, of course, Iraq, and then craziness there. But um, I guess a lot of uh, poverty down in Central America, that was back in the 80s. Hopefully it's gotten better, but I'm some armpits down there that are still not in good ways. And so uh, we had actually quick war story. We had stopped along the way. We were leaving to Guchagapa, which is the capital heading to San Lorenzo. And my uh, driver was an E six and we had a flat tire and we pulled into this abandoned gas station. And by the grace of God, there was a young man who worked there with his family. <clears throat> they didn't have any gasoline, but he was able to patch the tire. And, um, they just lived in the back of the gas station. And so I went to, you know, give him a $10 bill. And he said, you know, I won't see that for months. And then we gave him a case of MREs. He said, I can, my family can eat off this case of MREs for the next month. And they said, we, we barely get by. So all of that was through the interpreter, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as a young company, great officer first time out of America, seeing that, that poverty, it really hit home. And do you think, I, so that's my question is, uh, we have examples of this. I mean, don't get me wrong. I can, there, there's some areas here, you know, not far away I can go, or you can probably go in, in America and see poverty. But I think a lot of what we don't realize is that the poverty down there is not necessarily created by just not doing well in life. It's inflicted essentially based on their government and what's been chosen, right? So you know, the, the buzz terms today are the, the socialism or communism to an extent. But why do you think, in your experience, why do you think that that is so romanticized in some of our culture today when that's exactly the antithesis of the American experiment? Well, I think there's a lot of people who 
if, if we're talking about socialism, mm-hmm. um, and there's a lot of that in Central and South America. Um, right. That people who think that's a good thing have not lived in it, who've not been there. So all they know is what they may have read or what their college professor told them about. And they're getting brainwashed and, mm-hmm. you know, in the university. And so um, that's why I say, you know, if you, if you think it's so great, we'll go down there and live there for a while, mm-hmm. but don't be bringing it back here. Cause I've been in it and it's not fun. And so um, it's all about the government providing everything that you need. If, if that's what we're living for, then um, I, I don't want to be a part of that. And I think that's because uh, uh, I, I, you know, my, my bachelor's was in political science. And I remember one of my more interesting classes was uh, political ideologies and it goes into it. And I think the problem is these things on paper, they do sound great. They do like they, they, they absolutely sound like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I mean, why not? But what they never actually account in and what they don't really teach you, you kind of have to discover it through some thinking on your own is that no ideology is perfect, but it doesn't, and none of them ever account for the human element, right? So you can have communism or socialism and it can be great, but someone's got to implement it. Someone's got to be in charge of it. And that's where the problem comes because you can never control the human element, the greed that comes along with it. I mean, we look at, you can look at the Soviet union. We already did this on a mass scale before, right? With the cold war, like it, it ended the way it did for a reason. And, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that's just the problem with today is, unfortunately, I think we're doing a bad job of informing the newer generations of, or even mine to an extent, because uh, my generation, to be honest, is the ones kind of entering into political power at this point. So I think we're doing a bad job of educating we're not telling, you know, the, the full story. We're just giving the glamour and the highlights. And, you know, like you said, there's, there's plenty of examples where you can go to and let me know if that's what you, you really want to experience yeah. daily where you don't uh, yeah. have it. Yeah. So I was very fortunate that my parents um, used, you know, my childhood when we would take vacations, mm. we always went to Myrtle beach. But there were other points throughout the, the year that my father would take me to a Civil War battlefield or we would go to Washington or you know, name any other place in America. I mean, he just yeah. very intent on me learning our nation's history because there's only so much you can get in school. Right. And I felt like the education I got in public school that I came up in the 70s and 80s in Georgia, I, I got a, a great education from that. Um, but there was more to be had than what was just in a book right? and on screen. And so my father made sure that I got as much as I could from his, his learning and his history that I could, um, outside the, the classwork. Not everybody in America is going to get that. I understand it. But, um, you know, we, people who want to rewrite the history, like tearing down, um, monuments or, defacing them there, there's a process for that and if it bothers you then go to your local town council or the, the state government the federal government raise your issue but don't roll up there in the middle of the night with a chain and pull it off just because you're offended by something that's been there since the early 1900s that you walked by for the last freaking 
three right. years of life and it's oh now all of a sudden it's a problem wow okay yeah and i mean look, look at germany for example they didn't erase auschwitz it's there for you to look at and learn and actually see that's the point that's what any monument whether it's a positive or a negative should be and if you don't like it as you said there is a place for these things and they should be you know put them in a museum put them somewhere but they need to be reminders of what came before us we can't just look through i've said this before you can and other people have said it you can't look through the history of yesterday through the lens of today right because you're never going to be satisfied you just and someone's going to look at us one day you know what are they supposed to erase everything we've done um so that's kind of i think it's just we're i hate to maybe we're, we're just too sensitive maybe you know what I, because I, I, you and I have a difference in generation as well, but you came up and that's why I, I brought this up with uh, Colonel Sellers as well Is like, so in your lifetime, from what you've seen, what you've been a part of, what you've been able to witness, do you think we are at, because you said earlier to start that you don't see the, the, the truly negativity, but do you understand or do you think you've seen something similar to this through your lifetime based on civil unrest, conflict, whatever? Or do you think so, this is just, you know, it is what it is at the moment? So I, I grew up, uh, was born in Georgia mm -hmm. in the early 60s. And I came up in an environment that was very, um, white people had their place, black people right. had their Hispanic people. I mean, it was very segregated still in the 60s in the South. And so um, I remember certain things in my childhood that I really don't want to get into here, but where it was very black and white. Mm. Um, but that was, now not saying that it was right, but that's, that was the culture in the South back then, right? And yeah. slowly over time, those, those bad things changed to good. So I've seen strife before, and, you know, I remember, early um, discussions about, you know, my brother at the time was, we would sit in front of the TV and wait for his number to come up to go to Vietnam when the draft was going. That's crazy. And it was like every night, the draft, you know, we, that's back when we only had three channels. Yeah. ABC, Actual CBS, news. Yeah. And TBS came along and that was, you know, so, um, but we would sit in front of the TV watching the, you know, the news and if your number came up on the screen and you had to report to the, the recruiting office the next day. So, um, and, and being a recruiter, you would understand the, you know, the intensity behind showing up because you yeah. got drafted. Yeah. Cause you were told to exactly. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen that early in life. Um, somewhat of a memory of it. I remember more so for me than the, a black or white discussion was the Vietnam war okay. and how it, and having a, a second cousin that was a prisoner of war in Vietnam wow. for five and a half years and visiting his, you know, people talk about um, how everything is, is so bad, but until you sit in the home of a family member whose husband is in a, a prison in Hanoi that you've not heard from in three to four years that you don't even know is alive, that's, that's a lot of pain. And that kind of goes into what you, I think you, you talked a little bit more is uh, 
privilege, right? It will, they're, they're, that's, that stops immediately when you get into the battlefield, right? Because right. no, you know this. You just, yeah, I mean, you 30 years in uniform, and I think the best part about being in uniform is you, you're forced to be around everyone and work together. And uh, no one cares at the end of the day what color, race, creed, any of that stuff you do. You, you have a specific mission. You have something you need to do. And uh, you come together to make that happen. Yeah. And, uh, and you're we may be on a mission to go do something for America mm-hmm. because the president of the United States or our, the national command authority has directed us to do that. And we'll go do that and we'll salute and move out smartly. But when it comes to getting the mission done and we're there in the suck as we call it. Right. Um, it's all about who's on your left and right. It doesn't matter where they're from, the color of their skin. Um, it's all about taking care of the, the, the folks on your left and right. And that's where I think you, you get into the, do black lives matter? Sure. Do Hispanic lives matter? Sure. Do believe, do white lives matter? Sure. All lives matter, right? Whatever race, gender, um, and you, you touch on that and the way you feel about that comes from uh, the New Testament. John 13, 34 tells us a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, right? Really? And so why do you think, and I'm not saying, because religion is not a discussion that anybody can really have with someone and if, if they're coming from a different side. But these are things that we can take and apply to our lives. So I'm just curious, <clears throat> why do you think basic messages like that sometimes are just lost on people? Well, it gets back to who's controlling the narrative. And okay. so in, today, in today's world, it's a very left-wing media. Mm. And so, um, I mean, if, if you watch CNN all day, you will have a bad opinion of the president. If you watch Fox News all day, you will have a different opinion of the president. Mm-hmm. If you watch NBC, MSNBC, you name name right. any news agency about um, you know the story. I mean, the stories that you have out on the West Coast for what's going on in Seattle or Portland, or maybe yeah. we're we're covering here. I mean, it. You and I used to travel a lot, and so mm-hmm. the. The coverage that local media is giving to what's going on downtown Portland, I'm not seeing that in the Raleigh News report. Right. But I know it's going on. And so you see it on the internet. So um, I think it's all based on the media and how they want to spin it and how they want to get the narrative across. And, you know, I'm, we're skirting now towards politics. I'm, yeah, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> But there's there's an agenda to be had, and um, whether it's left, right, center, it's it's who's I think controlling the media in today's world. You know, you think about my dad was in World War II, right? When he got on the ship to go to the Pacific Theater, he was his task force was preparing for the invasion of Japan, mm-hmm. and had the Japanese not surrendered after we had dropped the atomic bomb. He was in part of that task force that was going to, you know, put boots on the ground and go into Japan. And so my, my grandmother did not hear from him for two years. It's but, amazing. Yeah, that, and, so, and today, I mean, I called my wife Renee from Baghdad just about mm-hmm. every day on our phone. So yeah. FaceTime, whatever. 
Right. So the media or the news that is covered back then uh, during that time frame, time frame, it would be weeks before you heard about, right. um, you know, the, the invasion of Normandy. Mm -hmm. That there was a hold on the media to report that that story until it actually got underway. And so, but today you got some dude with a, a camera on his ACH it's <laughs> or a phone. Everybody's got their little phone, the camera. Somebody's getting their ass beat and they're out there. Oh, let's take a picture. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think, and I, I, nah, I don't know. I'm not going to say it. Cause I, I know that's not something that you can get into at the moment, but the stuff like that, I think is what we're losing because we're removing you just the, the last thing you just said about everyone brings up a phone and I've pointed this out too multiple times. It's like, we're losing our sense of humanity to just kind of, Oh, let me get this on video and try and let me get it on the internet as soon as I can. And let's, let's try and get viral or go popular based off of that rather than this. I don't know, maybe put your phone down and go help the person who actually needs the help. There's a great story that just took place here uh, probably two or three weeks ago. Um, a guy, they, uh, a woman and her kids were in a river and the kids got away from her and they started going down this river. And this man jumped in and was able to save those kids, but he lost his life in the process. Hmm. Now, a lot of people would just be like, oh, look, let me pull out my phone and record these kids rather than, and this man didn't, he did the opposite. He did what he was supposed to do as a good human and right. sacrificed himself. You know, obviously that's not the outcome he was thinking was going to happen, but he didn't consider that. He just did what he had to do in that moment. And I don't think enough people do that anymore. They do the opposite. They want to get something on video, which we see every night, as you just pointed out. Right. Well, I, I think these are, are wonderful tools, but yeah. um, they, I mean, they're very convenient, but I think we've lost, uh, you know, it used to be just a telephone. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And how often do we actually use it for that purpose at this point? <laughs> so watching movies or getting stock reports or. Yeah messaging or instant news you know so and so i think like the last good well the whole thing is great and i wish there was a way to, to post this so people could see it but the, the last thing you you write in your post is the bottom line you choose to be happy and grateful for living in america choose to look for the good in america reflect on the past learn from our history and mistakes and try and be better every day um before that, you talked about how local governments and places you've been have, have tried to change their history because it may sure. offend the next generation, right? So do you see, I mean, we do see it, but do you see that kind of taking place here now? Or do you think the biggest thing anyone can do is what your final paragraph is, is just, hey, look where you actually are privileged. If we're going to talk about real privilege, you are privileged to be born in this country, right? With the opportunities that you can create for yourself. Um, choose to be happy because whatever emotion you choose to do each day, you're probably going to be successful at, you know, you can control how you react to things, but you're saying choose to be happy. Um, is that kind of what you think people are neglecting to do at this point? And that's why we have a lot of the conflict we do. Yeah. I, well, I choose to be happy. I mean, I used to have an expression, excuse the, the French, but <laughs> life's too short to be an asshole. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> um, 
So I choose to be happy and grateful for living in America because I've been around the world like you have, mm-hmm. and we've seen the armpits of the world and we've seen the, the worst of humanity. Mm-hmm. And we've seen, you know, our comrades being loaded into a transfer case to be brought back uh, under the banner of America to, to Dover Air Force Base and then mm-hmm. onto a, a, you know, a grave site somewhere in America, maybe Arlington. Right. But so, Having seen all of that and having seen the worst of humanity and knowing that that, that could happen here, uh, you, you have to speak up about it. Uh, maybe that Facebook post did that. That's just, mm-hmm. again, observations over the last few months. But um, I've, I've seen the world and there are some beautiful places in the world to go and visit. I wouldn't want to live there full time, right. but uh, I'm, I'm grateful to be here. Um, I think the area where I was talking about where they were trying to rewrite what was going on in um, another country was in Kuwait. And so yeah, um, the older generation of Kuwaitis really respect Americans because we came there in 1990 and 91 and we saved them. Right. Right. And so the older generation is very um, appreciative of that and they treat Americans very well. But the older generation, excuse me, younger generation, not as much because they've chosen not to talk about the invasion in 1990. So there's, there's a generation that will come along that won't even know about the neighbor to the north invaded your country and raped, pillaged, and burned. Oh, yeah. It was a lot bad. It was bad. Yeah. And so yeah. they're, they're not teaching that in the schools there anymore. And so the younger generation of Kuwaitis who would look at you in disdain and want to know why are you in their country versus an, an older generation Kuwaiti who, who thanks you for being in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to change. And so, uh, but they're, they're not talking about it anymore. Well, and that's why I, I look, I'm curious because uh, my daughter just started high school last week. So we talk about world war II as what you were, I think you wrote in that post as well, like your, your, your father who was in World War II and how the effort he went to to make sure you understood history in this country or especially what came after it. Right. I'm very curious, because I know what I was taught growing up in school. I, I know how World War II was taught to me. I know how Vietnam was taught to me. I know how it was taught later in the academia setting in college, very different. But I am curious what her public high school education is going to teach her regarding World War II. Um, and definitely 9-11 era. Um, that's something like, so you know this. I mean, my guys go out and recruit kids who are not born. Yeah. <laughs> not, like that's the recruiting age of the military in this country as a whole, you know, 1734. The 17 to 21-year-old kids weren't, even if they were alive, they have no concept of what that was. You and I can can to the minute tell you exactly what we were probably doing on that day. Um, so I am curious to see how that gets taught because it goes back to what you just said. Literally one generation difference in Kuwait is, you know, refusing to cover something that was absolutely critical to their, not only their continued to have a country, but to their, their existence overall. You know, if we never went there, Iraq would just be Southern Kuwait. <laughs> and I, when I ask the question, well, why don't they teach that anymore? It's because they don't, 
that generation to have a negative vibe, whatever, of the Iraqi citizen of, you know, their neighbor to the north. Look, it's not like you can get in your car and drive north through Kuwait in the desert and go into Iraq. There's a big right. gate. But there's nothing there but desert. So yep. when, why would you want to go? But it's not like there's a mall right up the road. <laughs> so, um, there are some nice malls in Kuwait, though, as you probably know. There are, but there's not <laughs> 15 miles north at the border. So, right. Um, but, I mean, that's that's their thing. They're not going to talk about it. But, I, you know, that's an example of what I was yeah. talking about. If you don't teach your history and what happened in the past, be it good or bad, folks want to tend to rewrite it. So. Yeah, and, and uh, I think that's the thing that needs to be realized most is that no nation is 100% good and none's 100% bad. Like there's some moments in between on both sides that you can learn positively or negatively from, right? Yeah. Um, My father from World War II is a quick another war story. So yeah. uh, he, he sailed into Pearl Harbor in 1944 and USS Arizona was still sitting the the superstructure was above the waterline mm -hmm. but the rest of it you know is sitting where it sits today and then they came along later in life and cut all the superstructure off and you know now it's just a a hawk of a the whole of the ship sitting on the, the bottom and there's a memorial above it mm -hmm. but that's what he remembered so in 19 excuse me 2005 or so we went back to hawaii he had not been to hawaii since 1944 and at this point, he was in his mid-80s. Oh, wow. And so um, he still held a lot of grudge and dis yeah. disdain for the Japanese people. And um, so we went out to the, uh, the USS Arizona Memorial. And I had my mother was with us, and she was in a wheelchair at the time. And I said, look, you, you harbor a lot of anger and grief from your time in the Pacific specifically with the Japanese, I said, you need to go out on this memorial, look to your rear and see the USS, um, I think it's the uh, Missouri, you know, that's where World War II ended on the, mm -hmm. up there on the deck. And I said, whatever it is you're holding, you need to leave it here and take as long as you want. And so we were out there for 30 minutes, self-reflection for him. And we left and I said, are you good? And he said, I left it out there. I said, that's where the war started. And that's where the war ended. And he said, let's go eat some pineapples. <laughs> <laughs> and a few later, he, he passed away. But, yeah. you know, so a generation, young man that was in his 20s, mm -hmm. his 80s, who had, you know, um, thoughts about that event in his life and how it ended. And he was able to self-reflect and leave it out there on the memorial. So. If, if we if we were to take that away from people that can't understand and appreciate history, then, you know, we don't have a future. All right. I agree. Um, well, sir, I think that's uh, it's probably a great place to leave it. I know you got some uh, work to get back to. I don't want your commander to come down and, and, and yank you up. So <laughs> five minutes to eat a sandwich. <laughs> I appreciate you taking some time to, to join me and, and to, to kind of talk about this stuff. Like again, uh, the, the message I think is, is very clear. Um, I hope we were able to convey a little bit of it today through this. Yeah. And uh, when you do, 
yeah, when you do finally are, are done for real, I'd love to have you back on to really open up because there's a lot. Two more years? Hey, I should still be here in two years. So, yeah, we, we can definitely do this again, sir. I do appreciate you again. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Take care.